I think the only well, sign that's, you know, that there may be some sort of prosecution is with Vance in New York. I don't think indication that the federal government is going to be acting. Now, other people disagree, but, uh, you know, the, there is some hope in, in Vance doing something. What, what you guys are saying is exactly what our viewers are asking right yeah. now, because they want to know two things. One, can the people of America do a class action lawsuit against Donald Trump for all the COVID deaths? And number two, they would like us to rattle off between the three of us. We can probably do it off the top of our heads. The criminal and civil cases that could already be brought or in the works so they can start applying pressure on political leaders to make sure that these are prosecuted. So that would be both New York and federal. There's so many things. There's campaign fraud, election fraud, January 6th, Georgia, New York, the Donald Trump organization. There's so many things that our viewers are just aching to participate in. A class action is not the right vehicle. Mm. Um, I don't think that's the avenue, but the, you know, I think for people who want a thorough, comprehensive explanation at, at let's start with the state of New York and also the, um, it's not just, it's the uh, Manhattan DA, which is different, mm. right? Cause that's a county. Right. And then with Fulton County in Georgia, if you right. want to know, case. yeah. So the Fulton County case, Norm Eisen and a bunch of other people. Norm Eisen worked in the Obama White House, and he's an incredible ethicist. And there's a whole group of people, including Joshua Matz, who's a private attorney who was on the um, second impeachment trial, worked on it, and also happens to be the lawyer um, arguing the appeal in E. Jean Carroll's case. Anyway, a whole group of people, like five of them, just like three days ago, put out a report about Fulton County. It's like 107 pages long or something like that. This is the and call regarding Raffsenberger, right? Is that the same? Yes. Uh, so this is when Trump calls up Raffsenberger and says, you know, find me the extra votes that I need plus one. I won. Anyhow, you've got to do it. Find me the votes. It's all on tape. We all hear it. It definitely happened without a doubt. Enough witnesses. Looks like he was trying to, you know, rig the election. That seems to me a pretty and good conclusion. what's beautiful is this is a very long report, but there's an easy to read executive summary. And I think I can, I don't know if there's a, I, I don't have access right now to YouTube and I'm not on Twitter at the moment, but I'm happy later to drop a link of that. Great. Um, in. Great. And then also Norm was used to, did a report for Brookings and that was over the summer and that detailed the possible causes of action against Trump, you know, the jeopardy he would be in, in New York. And, right. you know, so, so what New I love York could about- happen and, and Georgia could happen. So that's interesting. Yeah. However, right. would the Supreme Court still be able to weigh in on those judgments if they did come down in neg and against him? I'm going to rephrase your question. If a, okay. you know, if, if a case comes through state court mm -hmm. and someone is um, convicted under, you know, and, and the convicted is held, it goes all the way up and is held up um, at the highest court. So let's say it's, it's not uh, reversed by the state Supreme Court. What are the circumstances under which uh, the U.S. Supreme Court could intervene? And there would have to be some sort of federal issue involved. So it would have to be some sort of federal constitutional issue or federal statute implicated. And it's, you know, it's possible. I mean, we saw this happen, right. remember, when Cy Vance wanted the documents and this thing that should have just been a state law or a county law issue about a grand jury went all the way up to the Supreme Court twice, mm -hmm. right? There's often a way to make a case. Um, I guess I'm asking if it does it say, what happens if he gets found, if he's found guilty with the Raffsenberger case? If, does that preclude him from, what, what is, I mean, I don't know what the, what the oh, sentence nothing. would you be. Could there. Still, there's nothing, by the way, even if you're, I mean, there's nothing in the constitution that prohibits someone from running for office while they're in prison, not to 
and also to. if you're charged, I mean, the same thing would apply. You could probably still run for president if you're under, if you're under Think indictment. about it, his campaign. I don't know how yeah. you could, a lot of prisons don't allow you to um, broadcast, but mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah. But the nice thing about winning the presidency is then you could just pardon yourself and right. set yourself free, you know, which right. is kind of right. made for bad TV movie. Yeah. So we're in a difficult situation. Um, it doesn't appear to me like he's, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't think, I don't think Garland's is, is going to do very much. If anything, it's going to be up to Vance and it's going to be up to Georgia. And that's pretty terrifying set of circumstances. But let's talk about the big picture. Let's assume the democracy continues and we still have a rule of law in America, which is a big assumption these days. But let's say that happens. In your book, you, you know, you talk about so much of the corruption starting with business, starting in white collar crime. Like it seems to me like that is sort of the point of infection. If that maybe wasn't it, then maybe it's the mob that first infected business and then business infected the rest of society. But it looks like we've been corrupted by this virus of corruption that is so counter to who we are as a people and as who we say we are in our constitution that it's almost Wait like we've... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Well, yeah, first of all, I mean, guys, two things. I think mm. there's a symbiotic relationship between public corruption and private corruption. Mm. And ironically today, although there are a lot of bad apples and the system is pretty corrupt because people are not enforcing the white collar crime yeah. laws as they should against business uh, leaders. I think businesses these days look a lot better than a lot of the Republicans in Congress at this moment. But to say that this country, this isn't who we are, I mean... Our, this country was founded on race-based chattel slavery, you know, mm. and I don't care if that was perfectly legal at the time. It was unethical. It was violent. It was, you know, so the, the idea that we weren't built on crime and you were trying, the, the problem I think today is that we are going backwards in our, in our sense of progress. I think we're moving toward more equality in terms of economic quality, racial justice, uh, women's liberation, you name it. And I feel like Trump helped us slide backwards because he was from that generation and he's of the type that wanted things to stay the way they were. So I don't think right? it's just it's, him. I don't think it's him. I think there's no. an entire movement that, yeah. you know, as we were discussing at the top of the show, we, whether it's a it's a domestic yeah. movement or, or a global movement, it's probably a both, that are trying to, you know, reinstate sort of a monarchist, white, Christian world and and they want to be in charge and they're full on going to try and do it. And yeah. they've done it through these these people like Donald Trump, who are these seedy, corrupt criminals, and they've managed to take those criminals and place them in our government and subsequently corrupted our government because of that. You know, all the people in the Trump administration, whether it's Mnuchin or, or Wilbur Ross or, I, you know, I can't remember this, this cast of characters that each one of them is a criminal. Each one of them has done terrible things and they were landing up in charge of major ministries. So I feel like that there's a lot going on beyond Donald Trump that is forcing this change into America, whether we like it or not. And that's yes, a and perfect place, Jen, to bring up the dark mm -hmm. money changes to our law. The mm. must-pass defense bill had a major significant piece of legislation in there to expose the beneficiary owners of all of these shell companies. So if you are in the Panama Papers, look out, because maybe we are going to see some significant changes. And I know, Jen, you've looked into that, because that could, what Zev was saying, that could actually be what ends this dark era. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think this links to what I was saying earlier about praising Biden for the kinds of people he's putting in charge of the money stuff. And so what happened right toward the end of the Trump administration, there was this must-pass defense uh, authorization bill and slipped into that bill 
and both parties supported this being put in is this thing called the Corporate Transparency Act. And this is something that requires, so if you're a, it, it treats companies that are about to be born and created one way and then existing companies have like one year to comply. The idea is if you are a corporation or a limited liability company or any kind of entity that has to be established through the Secretary of State's office, which is any kind of like, you know, it's usually a corporation, a limited liability company, and there can be other forms, certain kinds of trusts. If you are one of those entities, it used to be that you could do a lot in secrecy. Basically in America, you know, because we have this federalism system, there's a lot that the states just do without federal interference. And some aspects of establishing a business are purely controlled by the state. And then if your business grows big enough, or if you want to sell securities, sell it, you know, sell shares in your company, then you're going to have a little bit of a, or a lot of regulation by, let's say, the Securities and Exchange Commission. But fundamentally, when a corporation or a limited liability company is created, who the owners are is never disclosed. Mm-hmm. Right. When you establish a corporation, if you start an LLC, it's even more secretive. And every state has different rules for how much information has to be disclosed to the Secretary of State and how much is public. So what Heidi is talking about, which I think all of your listeners know about, is we keep hearing about shell companies, the really good movie, The Laundromat. Mm-hmm. If anyone saw this about based on the Panama Papers, we often think of, oh, there's all these offshore havens where people create companies to launder money, launder money from bad activities like the drug trade or human trafficking or you name it. But the reality is the U.S. is a place that these days that people could go to launder their money because of our really lax laws, right. including in Delaware and other states. So why this is a breakthrough and um, is that all new companies, and they're, well, they're, I'm going to tell you the exceptions in a second. Companies that have fewer than 20 employees is an example. Like if you're a company that has fewer than 20 employees, you don't really appear to have a lot of money coming in through you. Um, that kind of company is going to have to say who their beneficial owners are. So right. you get these, there are a lot of these companies that you don't really know what they do. And so beneficial owner means who, what's the full legal name, the date of birth, the current address, and like their social security number. And this would also apply to companies that are organized under like a foreign country's laws mm-hmm. if they are authorized to do business in the United States. So if I'm and like so a Russian if- mobster who wants to buy a condo in a Trump Tower <laughs> using an LLC, mm-hmm. and, it's, and I do that LLC under just my name, I would have to give, uh, or the LLC's name, I would have to now provide my full details, my actual name, my actual social security number. So we would know who some of these people are who might be funneling in money through. And you think there shouldn't be a lot of companies though, right? Because here's what an exemption, any company that's like has their securities listed on exchange or like, or you're registered with Mm -hmm. the SEC, bank holding companies and credit unions, you know, things like investment companies, entities that are really highly regulated already, they're not, they don't apply. And even, so this is even true. If you make, if you have a company that files tax returns and it makes more than, actually it's a 5,000, I'm sorry, it's more than, if it makes more than 5 million a year and has 20 or more employees and has a physical presence, you don't have to either. So we're talking about, they're trying to get companies that seem to have almost no, you know, fewer, if you have fewer than 20 employees or if you don't seem to make a lot of money, you're going to have to tell, register with not your state, but with the U.S. Treasury Department and the hmm. division called FinCEN. Right. And That's this is the 
Yeah, and it's really a huge change in U.S. Well, law. doesn't have very much teeth, right? Like in the in the well, in the existing world, they don't really have much teeth. Does this give them more teeth to actually prosecute, or is it just going to be one of those things like they did with the FinCEN dump, which was, you know, here's a bunch of people who moved money around illegally, but what can we do about it? Here's here's. Well, list. I'm more hopeful because yeah. I think it's that. Um, was it, is it the Heisenberg uncertainty principle? What is the thing that w light changes as you watch it? Is that, I you know no what I'm idea. talking about? No okay, idea. No maybe idea. Your but maybe the audience knows. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the they idea, will. Heisenberg the, the idea here okay. is um, FinCEN has done these pilot programs where, um, well, let me just back up. Hmm. You know that where there's cash transactions for real estate, that's often a place to launder money. Mm -hmm. And what it does besides laundering money is it drives up prices in really hot markets. Right. And one thing FinCEN did, which demonstrates that if you watch the cash leaves that legitimate market, FinCEN in markets like Miami and New York and other big cities with a lot of cash sales started to require for cash sales title companies. Mm -hmm to report cash sales. Because as you probably know, any, you know, banks have reporting obligations for suspicious transactions. But if you don't involve a bank in the purchase of a giant asset, you might not have an, a, a, someone who has to report. So they right. did this pilot program where they asked these title companies. And if you're going to buy real estate, you need to make sure you have title to it. Otherwise, you know, what good is it? You can't then use it to borrow against or otherwise launder your money. And through this pilot program, what, you, what they saw, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a lot of the cash transactions using limited liability companies because that's what they were doing right. it wasn't like you or me buying cash it was some llc and no one could see the the members when the title companies had to collect the beneficial ownership information behind any llc that was engaged in a cash transaction there weren't so many cash transactions interesting so, so I think part of it is you're going to probably move some of the dark money deeper into the shadows but I'd rather have illegitimate money being in the illegal markets and not infiltrating our real market sure because then you can't prosecute i mean then you get stuck in a situation where you can't prosecute these people what about a situation with donald failure. trump and you mentioned this in your in your book uh, you know he, he basically gave away his condos to people without any cash seeming to change hands and and these people could either be people of dubious russian origin or people that he was trying to bribe or whomever there's a lot of cases of that in, in trump's girlfriends or, girlfriends or companions yeah. of known organized crime people who somehow yes, managed oh yeah so and the i was concrete, very careful uh, by the way concrete scandal that he was involved in everything i wrote about donald trump i was fully vetted by legal counsel mm. i had everything i have a lot of end notes in this book so i was careful if i was using a secondary source that wrote about this stuff a lot of you you know you hear us talking or you read something i mean i went back to all the sources i went back to oh, sec wow. settlements i went back to you know I, I was very careful there so i think you can you know Tell me if you see a mistake, but I was super careful I, I, with seemed, this. But yeah, seemed pretty good to go me. Ahead. I mean, everything I've done a lot yeah, of research I mean, in this world as well, so I feel like that you know all your list there was pretty pretty impressive. It looks he has all the hallmarks of someone facilitating money laundering. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, he settled a civil RICO case. This guy should have been my view that i think there were opportunities to prosecute him for rico there are opportunities to prosecute him for securities fraud there are opportunities to prosecute him for his business for money laundering if you look at this but it's always you know the excuse is always well you know who are the victims and it'll be you know really hard to prove intent and blah 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 till he's now president of the united states and using the same con artist techniques the same kind of corrupt money movement behavior and it seems like he's untouchable. I thought no one was untouchable.
It does seem to, I mean, reading your book, it feels like a lot of people are untouchable. I mean, I, I, that's why I was so mad because it's, it doesn't seem like it's just Donald Trump, that there's just so many people um, who can get away with it and get away and get really rich off it. I mean, that's the most frustrating piece yeah. about the book is it's not that, yes. you know, if you, unless you commit crimes, you have zero chance of, or maybe a tiny chance, a 0.1% chance of becoming super wealthy and becoming part of that, you know, fancy club that gets to fly to space and whatever else they do because they have tons of money. Unless you commit crimes, you're not going to be able to get there. You're not going to get to that well, multi-billion dollar I did not, I did not accuse any of the people who have gone either into space or to the edge of space yeah. <laughs> of any crimes because I don't want to get sued yeah. by Branson well, or um, Bezos, Bezos or anything. Yeah. The richest and uh, Musk, none of those people. Although, oh, boy, right, did he go to the case. edge of space too? No, okay. but he sent his, his spaceship up. Yeah, he did. He sent four people our, up our, there. <laughs> Our viewers would like to send a few of these people into space. Donald Trump sold 1,300 condos or apartments to anonymous buyers and only one of two developers, you know, to do that at that time. And that may be legal, but it's really, really shady. And we all know now who these buyers were. They were a lot of foreign nationals of Russian origin. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one thing we haven't talked about and thing that also enrages me is try being a black man in America mm. and right. getting away with passing either a let's let's talk about you know street crime passing a twenty dollar bill or selling you know a mini tax evasion by selling loose cigarettes on the street. We see what's happened. And to make the other analogy, you know, there's a story in the news about the head of Ozzy oh, or yeah, his yeah, whether he's you know. It seems to me, I mean, or Elizabeth Holmes, let's just put it this way. I'd love you know, to talk about all those things in detail. Oh, so yeah, yeah. We have time. I don't know um, how, much time, how much time do we have? Oh, we're running out of time. <laughs> we're running out of time. I want to talk Matt, about Elizabeth I, Holmes for yeah. sure. This is a case that, to me, an example of what everything is wrong with the Silicon Valley, which I think is, and there's a lot wrong with Silicon Valley. Uh, firstly, we have no idea where a lot of this money comes from. We have no idea. We sort of have a sense that these, you know, big venture capital firms are funding all these big startups. But you know, some of them, like Facebook, have turned out to be really concerning. They've really pot potentially been involved in the destruction of democracy. There's no regulation going on there. A lot of the money comes from Russia and other weird places that we can't really track who is funding it. Is it the Russian government or is it an oligarch? We don't know. It seems like there's been a real blind spot in understanding Silicon Valley and really prosecuting people there. And Elizabeth Holmes, to me, is just a perfect example. I mean, she sold people a bill of goods. Actually, none of it was true. Like, none of it. So... And she got away with it until she made so much money. So that to me feels like, you know, when you look at Facebook, you look at Twitter, you look at Elizabeth Holmes's thing, you look even at Elon Musk's, you know, operations there, they seem a little suspect sometimes. All of these are so concerning that there's just no attention paid to them. And they maybe are getting away with it because they are so high profile. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, the stuff about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, I mean, obviously the, the book, Bad Blood, by, mm -hmm. I always pronounce his name, John Carreyou, and I think he's doing a new podcast because he's actually in the trial. You know, there's no substitute for reading that or listening into it on Audible or whatever. Such a good book uh, because it really helps document how she used kind of smoke and mirrors, which happens at some companies, whether it's Silicon Valley or elsewhere, to hype up the value of the stock of this public mm -hmm. company. But what's most astonishing, I think, is how many, you know... I don't know what happened there. Jen, you froze. See, you mentioned Silicon Valley, you mentioned Twitter, and they freeze our video. <laughs> you're back I'm now. here. I think you're back now. <laughs> um, you know, so on the one hand, you know, you ask, why is she the one? This is Ellen Powell asked this question. She's a lawyer from Silicon Valley, who I think at one point was part of Reddit. Mm. And she asked, you know, 
well, you know, isn't it interesting that it's a woman who's being caught for this? And uh, yeah, on the other hand, yeah, you know, I think everyone should be held accountable when they do this stuff. But I think it's interesting how this sort of beautiful young white woman captivated all these senior statesmen, literally, you know, from business and from government to believe in her. I think people really wanted to root for a woman in a very male dominated industry, really wanted to see her succeed. And she had some great ideas, but a lot of us have great ideas, but it does, you know, committing fraud to make people to save face, make money and make people believe your good ideas actually work is entirely unacceptable. She's still using her white womanhood to try to manipulate now this jury. I mean, you hear what she's trying to use this notion that because she was subject to physical and mental abuse from her romantic partner, that she didn't have the criminal intent necessary to committed fraud that, you know, and I just, I think it's an insult to all women who are abusive relationships with their partners or all people who have abusive families and relationships who don't actually commit fraud. You know what I mean? So I just, and you don't see any other, I mean, to, to her defense though, you don't see a lot of men in her situation. You know, you could argue a case against Mark Zuckerberg pretty convincingly, I think. And he's not sitting in front of a, a court right now defending himself. I mean, it does seem like she's a standout maybe because she is female. You know, who knows, right? Mm. This goes back to, do we have trust in the system? You know, I think I would have prosecuted her based on these facts. The question Mm. is, who do they pass on? And we we don't know the internal workings Mm -hmm. of the Justice Department to fully understand why X person or Y person didn't get prosecuted, Mm. quite honestly. But, you know, what she did didn't just hurt her investors. There were real people who got false blood results who suffered and uh you know she seems to think she's the victim which she I does find seem to paint herself as pathetic that. i have one last big question then and let's turn it over to the audience if they have any but the all these settlements like you talk about purdue you talk about all these other tobacco settlements all these other big settlements mostly against state prosecutions the money goes to the state the money doesn't go to the people who are actually victims in a lot of cases it seems to me like you know there's a real challenge there that the people who actually suffered under these circumstances don't get the money. Well, sometimes I try to include this. Sometimes there are sometimes mm. when there are separate lawsuits where victims are compensated, but sometimes there are these criminal or sorry, these civil and sometimes quasi criminal um, like deferred prosecution settlements where a lot of money does go into the federal government. And, you know, sometimes that's for restitution and sometimes it's not. But I think the problem with victims is I don't think victims getting a little money after the fact puts their lives back together. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some crimes for which we never identified the victims and we actually never fully identified. I mean, let's look at, you know, Purdue Pharma twice in its history. This is a Sackler's family. You know, the company itself has pleaded guilty and some of the executives, never the family members and not recently. And, you know, the victims of their you know, lying about and pushing opioids that were unsafe are family members and Mm. communities, you know, and what, you know, money isn't going to make your child or your friend or you not addicted now because you got hooked before you got hooked. But if they died, it might give you some comfort. I mean, there's some, you know, not you some comfort, but your family some comfort. It just feels to me like it's always, you know, the money grabbing that's going on both between corporations and the state and all these other people, it never seems to flow down to the little guy. Um, who might be really affected by the stuff. And I think it's just the, the nature of how expensive these prosecutions must be in, in other factors. Heidi, any questions online that we need to get to? Anyone else got any thoughts or any of your questions? Oh, yeah. And and also, I think Zev is referring to the big news today that the Cherokee Nation got a $75 million right. settlement because of opioids. And his point is, who's really going to get that money? 
Yeah, so I think the most critical question that has been asked, at least that caught my eye, is, and I think it's a really smart question, do you think that there is a fear of prosecuting Trump because of a fear of violence? And before you answer that, I will say that I'm friends with a U.S. Senator who told me maybe more than a year ago that often she believes she's a Democrat. She believes that the Republicans were actually very afraid of Trump's base. And we are seeing madness and little green men and you know, Oath Keepers, you know, fully armed to the teeth. And so I think that that's uh, something that important to get a response to. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely believe that collateral consequences, so to speak, always come in before prosecution is considered. And I'd be highly shocked if it wasn't considered. And I think it's a case of the mob is, you know, that because of the mob, he might be too big to jail too big mm -hmm. to prosecute. I haven't heard and, that one before. It's good. <laughs> too big to jail. Um, oh, no, that's, yeah. I mean, it's, I think he might be, I think the mob is too big in this case. And I think Donald Trump, I think Garland's afraid of that, but there's a way you protect against us. We don't have a democracy. We don't, we could just admit, I mean, what I don't like is not telling the truth about it. Why don't they just say, yeah, we've just realized that we're so afraid of the biggest part of his base. And there might be some of them, maybe 5 million people who are armed and we're afraid they're going to wreak havoc on the country. So we're never going to prosecute Trump. Just say it. Yeah. I because mean, you, or just pardon I, him just and just say, say you know, it, there's nothing, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go there. Um, but I, I'm not that much of a coward. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, we already had, what is it? What is the number now? Is it 600,000 people who have yeah. died of COVID? Oh, what is the number? More, more. It's oh, more than 700. That. I, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. how much yeah. more of this do we have to take? It's crazy. The and thing I is, know also, they're projecting yeah. into what might get worse. I mean, you know, if he does become president again, it's going to get worse. It's not like we're going to hold on to the semblance of democracy that we have now. It's going, you know, we're potentially going to be in a civil war kind of situation where you've got like a real polarized country where maybe some states break away. Maybe there's a, you know, an attempt to at least secede in some of them. It's, and that could happen if he wins or loses actually the election. I mean, these are really challenging questions and issues. And the thing is, if you don't arrest him now, you're not going to get a chance later on. I mean, it seems to me once next year's elections are underway, which will be all about Trump, you can't really arrest him because you're sort of in the middle of an election campaign or at the start of an election campaign. Right. The window and to be is honest, now. You know, it's not about, you know, politics should never justify why you um, choose to prosecute someone. But similarly, mm -hmm. politics should not be the excuse for not prosecuting right. them. Right. And we are now, you know, Jesse Eisinger wrote a book, which is a classic called The Chicken Chit Club. Mm -hmm. And when I sent him a copy of the paperback, I said, you know, I hope Garland doesn't turn out to be a member yeah. of the Chicken Chit Club, but I'm losing hope. He's a part of the Federation, what's called the Federal Society, which is basically Federalist. <laughs> Federalist Society, sorry, which is a terrifying organization. I was going to try to talk about that, but we don't have much time. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for being here tonight. We really appreciate your time. The book is called Big dirty money and everyone should buy it you can download it right now on your favorite service or you can buy it in paperback which is great it's everyone the cover jen tell us one last thing you want to encourage people to buy this book it won't just make your blood boil it'll actually make you smarter and know what to say when you get on the telephone and call the department of justice and say enough is enough are you telling me trump is above the law you need to prosecute him now there you go. It's a really good sell. It really does make you angry, this book, I have to say. It's great read. It's great read because you turn, it's a page turner, but it's like, whoa, this happened and that happened. So yes, buy it and be prepared for a little bit of rage and maybe turn that rage into some protest because I'm beginning to feel like 
it's okay maybe it's okay if we step out into the streets and say we'd like to see some action about trump i mean it's certainly not working any other way and maybe some protests you know may work it's always scary because you know, no one wants to to drive people into a situation that could be uh, you know violent but on the other hand that's what this country is built on we should be able to protest and we should be able to at least have our voices be heard when you've got someone like mary garland you know we all thought he was going to do one thing and he's not turned out to do that one thing i think in that case it's okay to protest and we should be protesting and demanding that donald trump be brought to justice heidi any last thoughts from you thinking about everything and just realizing that we never want to leave people feeling downbeat yes and you know yeah. We've got Barrick. They arrested him and indicted him. We have examples of prosecutions that are going through the system right now. But yes, please, Merrick Garland, signal to us that we can expect prosecutions to come. And it's not just Trump. It's Flynn. It's these guys who are bad actors who are stirring up people and brainwashing people and, you know, give us something to uh, show that we still are a democracy. And another upbeat thing to say, thank you, Heidi, is another reason why to read this book and not get upset is because if you're still outraged, it means you still have a heart and there's still hope. Absolutely. I mean, it is, it opens your eyes and it's, uh, it's important. It's just important for people to realize what we've all been living through in this, uh, the slow creep of, of corruption that's been going on. It's something we really need to focus on and to turn around. And I believe we can. I mean, I think the will of the people at the end of the day is much stronger than any mob and much stronger than any even, you know, foreign adversary who's trying to poison our country. The American model, the American ideal is an incredible ideal. And it's an experiment that yes. only we've tried. And it seems to have done great things for the world. Turning it around and turning it to something that we know is not going to be nearly as successful or, or interesting there's no point in that. So we really should be doing everything we can to preserve it, not just for us, but we've got generations of people to come. And those people need dreams and they need ideals and they need to achieve everything they want to achieve. And if we don't do it for them, it's going to be a pretty uh, dark scene. So we should uh, definitely focus on that. And I think the will of the people at the end of the day will succeed as it has in most cases around the world where you've seen this kind of conflict. The people do actually overcome. And so let's hope that's the case in, in the United States as well. Thanks very much for joining us on Narrative tonight, Jen. Thank you very much. Good night, Heidi. We'll be back tomorrow night with another show. And Steve Hassan will be here to talk about book, The Cult of Trump. Very, very similar themes, but slightly different. You'll also talk a lot about the Moonies because the Moonies have had this giant role in everything that's happened with January the 6th. And we'll figure out why they've been so involved and uh, why Donald Trump headlined their recent uh, meeting in Korea. So all that's coming up tomorrow. And uh, until then, have a great night, everybody. Thanks, Ed.